It is our final look at our series on worship coming up next here on Abounding Grace as we take a look at the heart's desire to worship. That's next. Online at reformedheritage.org, this is Abounding Grace, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, takes us back to Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6. We're looking at the passion to worship. As we close this series out, we are reminded again that no matter how we look at worship, there still has to be a passion for worship, a heart's desire. If you call the Sabbath a delight, Isaiah said. With more, here's Pastor Gary on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. You see, it is not until we have a healthy view of the Sabbath that we shall delight in the Lord. One follows the other. It is quid pro quo. Without this, not that. One of the reasons we have no sense of the delightfulness of the Lord as David did is because we have no sense of the delightfulness of the Lord's day. Many of us have that attitude of the people spoken of in Amos 8.5 who said, When will the Sabbath be over? Some of us don't see this day as a day of rest and worship. We see worship as being an interruption to our weekend, a duty for an ab and for an hour, but an interruption. The Puritan George Swinnick wrote this about the Sabbath back in the 1600s. As the ordinances are heaven in a glass, ordinances being, of course, the reading of the word, the singing of the psalms, the collecting of the offering, prayers, the sermon, etc., as the ordinances are heavy, heaven in the glass, so the Lord's day is a map of heaven. This is to be valued at a high rate because therein we enjoy all the means of communion with God in the highest degree and measure without interruption. The Hebrew called the weekdays profane days, but they called the Sabbath a holy, pious day. The Greeks called them working days, but this is the day of sweet rest. Others' days are called common and ordinary handmaids, but this is fitly called by the Jews the Queen of Days. Isn't that a wonderful name for the Sabbath, the Queen of Days? What the phoenix is to the birds, the lion to the beast, fire to the elements, that is the Lord's day among days. Upon this day, Christ carries the soul into the wine cellar, and his banner over it reads, Love. Upon other days, he feeds his members. On this day, he feasts them. On this day, he brings forth his living waters, his finest wine. On this day he gives the sweetest bread, the finest flour, the true meat, his own body. 
On this day, he met the two disciples and made their hearts warm, even burn within them by the fire of his words. On this day, the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. On this day, the Lord brought forth the light of his new heavens and new earth by his resurrection. On this day, St. John had his glorious revelation. On this day, the Lord burst asunder the bands of death. He broke in pieces the gates of hell. He left captivity captive. He trampled upon principalities and powers and trampled over the grave sin, the curse of the law and Satan. On this day, he still rides triumphantly in the chariot of his ordinances, conquering and subduing sinners to himself. Oh, blessed day! How many thousands of souls have known thee on the day of their new birth? Blessed art thou among days. From henceforth all generations shall call thee blessed. Blessed be the Father who made thee, the Son who bought thee, the Spirit who sanctifies thee, and blessed are all who prize and improve thee. Oh, dear listener, you do not have a drop of true holiness. If you do not bless God at the coming in and going out of this blessed holy day, that, brothers and sisters, is a passion for worship. So the first element, I believe, is a love for the day of worship. The second, as we have seen a little bit previously in another sermon, is a love for the place of worship. In Leviticus 19.30, we saw last week that God commanded, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. We are called to love the place of worship. Not only the day of worship that is set aside physically to worship God in a public way. Now keep in mind that we are called to worship God all the day long, every day of every week. But we are talking about the public and corporate worship of the people of God. So, secondly, it is a love for the place of worship. In Psalm 84, David takes four verses to tell us how he felt about the place of worship. He says in verse 1, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising you. What beautiful imagery. He says, the bird has found a house, and the swallow a place where she can lay her young. As one commentator said, the bird has finally found a resting place. She has come home. This is our home, brothers and sisters. We are passing through the world, but when we come here, there should be a sense that we've come home. 
because this is the closest thing to heaven that we will know this side of eternity, this public worship of God. And listen to what else he says about this. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. And where does all of this take place? In thine altar, O Lord of hosts, how blessed are they that dwell in thy house, even though our bodies are absent during the week. Our hearts should be right here in worship. And what is the result of that? He says, they are forever praising me. But there is another thing about the love for the place of worship. In the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 29, there is a very interesting story told that adds a bit more light to this subject. Verse 1 begins telling us, Hezekiah became king of Jerusalem at the age of 25 and reigned for 29 years. Then in verse 2 it says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Now that's a pretty good thing for the Lord to say about someone. He did right in the sight of the Lord. Well, what did he do? Was he evangelist in the professional sense of the word? Not really. He was a king. Did he give lots of money to the church? Well, possibly, but we don't know that. The verse tells us what he did do right in the sight of the Lord. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, in other words, the very first thing he did, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. Isn't that interesting? Before anything else went on in his reign, he opened the church doors and repaired them. And we are told immediately, Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's how important the house of the Lord is. The place of worship was to the king of Jerusalem, and that's why it is hideous sight to see a church in disrepair, disrepair or to see a place of worship be sold for a lamp store or a restaurant. And then notice what he did next. He consecrated the priest. He brought in the priest, and in verse 5, he told them to sanctify themselves and then sanctify the house of the Lord. In other words, carry out all the filthiness from this place. I find it very, very interesting that God says, Get the building looking good externally. And then the people themselves are going to feel a little bit better. It's not feeling better in the sense that they have a bright, shiny building, but that it's an atmosphere that can be created that is more conducive to public worship. This isn't a small matter that I've introduced to you, beloved, to fill up my sermon. This is what the Word of God says that is proof positive how important worship is to God, that we even cherish where we meet to worship. The first thing the king of Jerusalem does as he begins his reign is to repair the church, 
sanctify the priest, then sanctify the church and the people. Now think about that. So much for the separation of church and state. Hezekiah knew from his biblical training that to have a strong nation, the people needed to worship the true King of kings and Lord of lords. He obviously was taught well from Psalms 1 and 2. Why did Hezekiah find it necessary to create a good atmosphere for worship besides the fact that God commanded him? Verse 6, Our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. And what had they done? They have forsaken him, God, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They turned their backs on the house of God. It is very, very important. How had they turned their backs on the Lord? By not doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord, by making sure the house of God is in order. Remember those words from King David in Psalm 84. A day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand outside. I had rather be a mere doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now let's take that literally. David says one day in the church is better than three years on the outside, and I'd rather stand on the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the house of wickedness. Brothers and sisters, that's a passion for worship. Now I'd like to run through a few Old Testament passages to highlight the significance of God's house. And don't even try to keep up with me, but you might write these verses down so you can study them later. In Genesis 28, we are told it is an awesome place. It is the gate of heaven. In Psalm 26, we are told it is the place where God's glory dwells. In Psalm 65, it is called a place of blessing and goodness. In Psalm 108, it is a place where God speaks to us. In Psalm 63, it is a place to behold His power and His glory. In Psalm 73, it is a place where we receive understanding. In Exodus 20, it is a place where God's name is remembered. In Psalm 48, it is a place to meditate on God's loving kindness. In Psalm 84, it is called a place of security and rest, a place of praise. In Psalm 23, it is a place where we find goodness and mercy. Psalm 23, 6, surely. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Psalm 87, it is called a place that is dear to the heart of God. And in Psalm 69, it is called a place that is dear to the hearts of God's people. And my friends, we shall not, we shall sing of such a place. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, if we don't have that kind of man mindset, that is a negative statement about us. That is something we need to take before the Lord, beloved. 
So it is to love for the, it is to love for the day of the Lord, a love for the place of worship, and thirdly, it is a love for reverent worship in his house. In Matthew 21, 10 through 12, Jesus drove out the money changers, and we see that he guarded the sanctity of God's house. He defended the honor of God's house. In Psalm 5, 7, David says, I will bow in reverence for thee. He had a love for the reverence of worship. In Psalm 2.11, we are commanded to worship the Lord with reverence. It is a, a love for the day of worship. It is a love for the place of worship. And it is a love for reverent worship. And then lastly, it is a love for God's glory. Let me read to you a few verses from Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf and discovereth or destroys the forest. Obviously, when the Lord speaks in his word, it has an impact on all of creation. And then he says this, in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Everything about our worship, beloved, must be pointing toward and devoted to the glory of God. Whether that starts with your punctuality here, the way you are prepared to worship, the way you behave when you're here, your attentiveness, and all the elements of the worship service need to be examined in light of do they glorify the Lord? Do we do here what we do because Skip and I feel this is a good form of worship or because this is the traditional way to worship? No, we worship the way we do because Scripture tells us this is what brings God the most glory. We must never elevate our own desires or traditions over Scripture or we will become practicing Roman Catholics. A love for the day of worship, a love for the place of worship, a love for reverential worship, and most of all, a love to glorify God. George Senwick said, Those who worship God truly give him their hottest love, their highest faith, their deepest sorrow, their fullest trust, their greatest fear. As when Abraham gave Isaac, he gave his all. That is the passion to worship. I close with a quote from the great 17th century author, John Downey. Please listen carefully. What you do in public worship, do it with all your might. Shake off the slothful, indifferent, lukewarm attitude which is so odious to God. 
Let your whole man tender their worship or offer it up to God. It is not enough to present your bodies before the Lord. Bodily worship profits as little as bodily exercise. Remember what uh, Paul said, that bodily exercise profits little for the soul? Well, he says here, Paul, so does bodily worship. Coming here and planting yourself in a pew and keeping your eyes open for an hour is not worship, especially passionate worship. And Downey again says, it is soul worship that is the soul of worship. Isn't that a great line? Those that draw close with their lips will only find God far from them. Not only lips and mouth and tongue, but mind and heart and affections. Not only knee and hand and eye, but heart and conscience and memory must be pressed to attend upon God in public worship. David said not only his flesh longed for God, but his soul thirsted for him. Then will our Lord draw near where our whole man waits upon him. Then will the Lord be found when we seek Him with all of our heart. End quote. David said, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate so that I get lost in Him while I'm in His temple. Is that you, beloved? That is a passion to worship our great God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you who are most holy, we ask your forgiveness for so often coming here only in body, for worshiping you with our lips when our heart is far from you, for being passionate about things when weighed in the eternal scheme of things, are so less significant and can really be called insignificant in light of your worship. Father, our hearts need to be elevated. We need a greater vision of you and your majesty and your glory as Isaiah had. But the only way we're going to have that vision is if you come here and dwell in your beauty and meditate on you in your temple. Forgive us for having priorities where worship is so far down the list. Forgive us for not delighting in you because we don't delight in your day. Forgive us for doing our own pleasure and speaking our own words, for doing that which pleases us instead of that which pleases you. Forgive us for putting so many things in our lives above you, for thinking that you would be pacified with but an hour a week. Forgive us for giving you leftovers when you have never withheld anything from us. Help us to turn away from these things and forsake them so that we can worship your name as you so deserve. Teach us what it means to truly dwell in your house, to be delighted in you, and teach us what it means to have a passion for worship. For Jesus' sake, 
And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 